0: Greetings this Lord's Day in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Greetings. It's a good day to be gathered in the house of the Lord. The Bible says that where two or three are gathered in His name, there He is in our midst. We're all glad to see each other, right? But what we are most excited about is that God's presence is with us. You know, none of us had the opportunity of walking with Jesus. You know, I thought about this. You know, I've imagined being able to walk and talk with Jesus in person, and where He went, and you know, watch what He did, and and somehow there's something in me that sort of laments that I missed that, you know. But as I begin to study, and we're going to talk a little bit about the Holy Spirit today, I realize that we really aren't missing anything. Amen. That God walks with us. Amen that he's not only with us, but where is he? In he's in us. And we have the benefit that those wonderful men of God who I want to envy sometimes, we have the benefit of things that they only thought about in the beginning and they experienced later on. And I'm sure at first it seemed like they were giving up so much uh, only to find out that they, God, what God had for them was even more. Psalm 77 says it this way, I cried unto God with my voice, even unto God with my voice, and He gave ear unto me. In the day of my trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not, and my soul refused to be comforted. I remember God and was troubled. I complained and my spirit was overwhelmed. Thou holdest mine eyes waking. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I have considered the days of old and the years of ancient times I call to remembrance my song in the night I commune with my own heart and my spirit made diligent search will the Lord cast off forever and will he be favorable no more in his mercy is it clean gone from me forever does his promise fail has God forgotten to be gracious have he in anger shut up his tender mercies? And I said this in my infirmity, but I will remember the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the works of the Lord, and surely I will remember the wonders of old. I will meditate also on thy work and talk of thy doings. Thy way, O oh God, is in the sanctuary. Who is so great as our God? Thou art the God that dost wonders, and thou hast declared thy strength among thy people. Thou hast with thine arm redeemed thy people and the sons of Jacob and Joseph. The waters saw thee, O God, the waters saw thee, and they were afraid, and even the depths were troubled. The clouds poured out water, the sky sent out sound, the arrows went abroad. The voice of thy thunder was in the heaven, and the lightnings lightened the world, and the earth trembled and shook. Thy way is in the sea, thy path is in the great waters, and thy footsteps are not known. Thou leadest thy people like a flock by the hand of Aaron and Moses. God, the mighty God, the great God of the thunder and the lightning and the power, also led them like a shepherd through the wilderness tenderly. This great God that we serve is not remote, but he is personal and he is with us. Amen? Let us pray heavenly father we love you we thank you for loving us we thank you for sending your son in the likeness of uh, man oh god as he came and ministered to us and brought salvation for us and lord we thank you for sending us the holy spirit lord that ever-present help in the time of need that communion we long for in our darkest hours oh God you have not left us comfortless but you have indeed come to us Lord speak to us today as we gather together forgive us our sins and lead us in the paths of righteousness for your name's sake. change us by your word today and help us Lord to leave nourished by the food from heaven that you will send to us in Christ's name we pray and all the church said, Amen. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Yeah. Remain standing as I uh, read my text for you today. My sermon today is simply entitled, The Comforter, The Holy Spirit. My text is from John chapter fourteen, uh, starting in verse sixteen. We'll cover a larger portion of Scripture than these two verses that I'm, or sixteen through eighteen. These three verses that I'm going to read, um, but this is my text. John fourteen sixteen says, "And I will pray the Father, and He shall give you another Comforter, that He may abide with you forever." Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and he shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Let us pray. Lord, as we enter into this passage of Scripture and others, Lord, I pray that most assuredly you would speak to us lord that what the people of god would hear me included would be your voice that your word would illuminate our hearts where we would see where there is sin where you would illuminate the path ahead so that we could see how that we could progress lord change us today by your word that we might leave different in christ's name we pray and all the church said you may be seated As we have been talking about for a few weeks, Jesus was living his last day on earth as a man. It's kind of amazing that we will probably be for maybe months uh, talking about the last day of Christ, but we will. Jesus was living this last day as a man. He shared what he knew was his last supper with his disciples. He had washed their feet told them how to lead this new kingdom by serving one another and preferring one another instead of lording over one another as the Gentiles do. This is what he had done with them and how he expected his followers would treat one another in the coming kingdom. This is how God wants us to treat each other. Amen? Amen. Now, the work of Jesus had been very heavy work. I think sometimes we forget about this we forget about what difficulty it must have been for God to come into flesh and have to face sinful flesh and be in contact with it every single day he daily bore the heavy burden of fallen humanity he was as the scripture says a man of grief and he was acquainted with sorrows you know when I uh, read that from Isaiah chapter fifty-three, and and I and I hear it, I, I I wonder what it was that was grieving him so, and what was he sorrowing about? He certainly wasn't grieving because he knew mankind wouldn't be saved. He certainly wasn't sorrowful for uh, things around him that he was powerless against because he was what? He's all powerful. But what I believe the 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 grief and the sorrow that he was acquainted with was the condition of the world around him. God had made man in his own image, and he had created a world where there was beauty and loveliness and free communication with God and life and fruitfulness and fountains. I mean, it was a lovely place, but it's like, imagine going to visit the home you grew up in and finding that it was trashed that nobody lived there, that the windows were busted out, that animals were living inside. You could look at it and it would still be your house, but there would be a grief associated with it. This is not the way that it should be. This is not the way it will be. And I'm sure it grieved Him day after day. You are grieved when you see people sin. When you're somewhere and you see someone hurting someone or taking advantage of someone. But imagine being Jesus. Seeing people who were poor and had no idea that their lives could be different. Seeing people who were bound by sin and not understanding how they could be different. I, I've i experienced uh, something I would sort of maybe compare this to. You know, in Myanmar, we watch these road workers, and I know that they live in these tents beside the roads. And it just it gets in my mind that I think they're in this hundred degree weather. They're... Melting blacktop. They're living in. Uh, they, they, it's not even tarp. It's the plastic. Benita, you know that like kind of clear plastic. They make these little huts out of them, and they live there. And they're sweating, and they're hot, and they're. You know, they have no way out. It, uh, and when I go by, it grieves me because I'm like, they could. Li- they could be living on State Route 56. They could be living among the green grass and the the beautiful farms of Ohio. If they only knew, they could. But they could. But they don't know it. And I'm sure that seeing this grieved the Lord. He had come to alleviate pain and suffering was part of the grief too, Andy. He came to alleviate it, but how did we treat Him for doing it? Imagine coming to help somebody, you know. And I've done this too. You're trying to help them. You're trying to pull them out of the pit that they're in. You're trying to help them with the difficulty and the sin that binds them. And as you're trying to help them, what are they doing? They're hurting you. They're despising you. They want to kill you. They want you away from them. And what are you doing? But you're just trying to lift them up. He had come to alleviate pain and suffering, yet he was despised and rejected in his work. He saw the endless line of sick and dying, demon-possessed and hopeless. As the prophet Isaiah said of Him, He burdened Himself with these cares. This is what the grief was about. Surely He hath borne our griefs, carried our sorrows, and yet in all His holy for us, He was not esteemed. He was despised. He was smitten. He was afflicted. They spit on the One who came to lead them out of the prison. Steve, how could that not make your heart sorry? I know you love people like I do. And you meet people and you want to help them, and they're spitting on you, and they're angry with you. All You're just trying to take them gently by the hand and lead them somewhere lovely. And they don't want to go. This was indeed a load that pressed down upon Him, as it does on all of those who have taken up the same yoke and have been rewarded in this ugly fashion that jesus was joining him in this epic conquest to free the world of sin and death his band of disciples were about to be left without him to continue the work they would need comfort and they would need help you know this is our work too so we need what they needed amen you know this just wasn't a work for jesus It wasn't just a work for His disciples. It's the work we're called to do. And as much comfort that they would need when Jesus would leave, we would need the same. They would need comfort and help. Doing the work of God can be a heavy burden if you try to bear it yourself. I remember years ago, not understanding how God bears this burden and does this work through you. And and so, Derek, I was always trying to do it myself. And I'll tell you what, if you try to save the world, there are no supermen. Well, there was one. You can't bear it. When you take the hurting and the needy and the poor and the abused and the possessed, that you tried to carry them on your back. And I tried. And you know what I saw? I saw that it would crush me to the ground. Doing the work of God is a heavy burden if you bear it yourself. When Christ does it in you and through you, the work is light and it's filled with joy. And that's something I had to learn. As God did for them, He's done for us. We are never alone. Everybody say, I am never alone. alone. God doesn't call you to do what you can't do. He equips you not just with skills and abilities and personality. He equips you with His own Spirit. It's Christ who does the work. Now you say, well, this just sounds mysterious. I'm telling you, there's a way to serve God and you think you're doing it all. And it's heavy and people go through, ministers go through burnout and their lives get destroyed and their families get destroyed. Why? Because what are they doing, guys? They're trying to carry this load. A load that Jesus was weighed down with Himself even as a perfect man. We can never bear these things. If you remember when Jesus had a few of the disciples and He went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and He left the other disciples behind. You remember this? They were overwhelmed. A multitude of sick people came. And here they were. Jesus wasn't with them. Ryan, He had left them. He's up on the Mount. You know, uh, Elijah, you know, Moses, and there's all this great stuff going on up on the on the on the Mount of Transfiguration, and these guys are down below, and the throng of all the sick people are coming, and a boy brings it a dad brings his son, a demon-possessed son, and there and the other people are going, ask, could you answer this question for me? And they were just like, I can't answer the questions, I can't heal the sick. And they prayed for the boy, and the demon didn't come out. Do you guys remember this sermon about helplessness? You see, God wants us to understand that we are helpless against what's going on out there, absolutely helpless. Just like every sin deserves the wrath and curse of God, and that should cause us to be desperate, it's good to know what? It's good to know that He bore the wrath and curse of God so we don't have to. And in the same thing, when we have questions we can't answer, diseases we can't heal, and demons we can't cast out, we need to remember, we can't do that anyway. Only He can do it. He came down and He showed them that. But what He was teaching them that day as they were feeling their helplessness, He was teaching them that He did this, but He was teaching them that one day they would have to, without Him, be able to do these things. And how would they be able to do them? Some of you might feel this way when your parents aren't around. Some of you who are and I feel even squeamish saying it. Some of you that have been my disciples as a pastor, you might feel that way when I'm not around. I've often thought about, maybe you were able to think about it last week, you know, when Andy and I weren't here. What would our church be like without your elders? What it be like without your pastor? You might go, whoa, we do, right? But, but I think it turned out pretty good. Tim came through, right? challenged everyone to love their neighbor right hopefully brought conviction that we're not loving our neighbor right jeff was able to do a good job right do you know jeff and tim were scallywags well tim tim's not just jeff do you know that brownfields had a big fight this week or did you have more than one i only heard about one of them did did you guys have a big fight just one do you know god takes weak people who fight who can't figure things out who have only so much strength and by the way my wife and i fight regularly probably more than jeff and amy do okay and by the grace of god we work it out we work it out but you see, when we bear these things in ourselves, when we feel like we're the ones, right? Then what? We feel we feel helpless because we're like, I can't even, I can't even work it out in my own house. I can't even, I can't even work it out with my own kids. I can't even work it out with the person who loves me more than anybody. She hates me right now. You know? Come on, you know what it's like. Don't don't. We're not we're not here dressed up to pretend what we're not. What we are come on, Steve, you've been in the doghouse. Steve, Steve told me he lives in the doghouse. <laughs> he said that way he can't be put in it. He just, he just stays in it, you know. That's actually a joke. But uh... But the deal is, is one day I won't be here. You know, Elizabeth, one day Daddy won't be here. You know, Bench has been feeling a calling to to the ministry he's trying to confirm if this is really what God wants for him one day dad won't be there this is what they were going through could you imagine having Jesus as your (laughs) your shepherd your father your friend I mean guys he always had the right answer he always I mean I might love you and really want to be a good blessing but I'm not always such a blessing to you I'm trying I know I try But Jesus always was. One day we'll all be gone just like Jesus left them. But you won't be alone that day. Amen? The Comforter will lead and guide you where your parents and elders are guiding you now. The day Jesus came down from the Mount of Transfiguration, He faced all of their challenges for them. He reminded them then that He would not always be with them. And that they would need to pray for and use their own faith. Now, he wasn't saying, you know, how can it be that he says, I won't always be with you, but then he says, I will be with you. It kind of, a, kind of a, sounds funny, but it's different. You see, he was there in the flesh. He was there walking. He was there to lay his hands on this boy who needed the demons cast out of him. But he wasn't going to be there anymore like that. Jesus wasn't going to be there to turn over the tables in the temple. He wasn't going to be there to to take the man by the hand and stretch out the withered hand. He wasn't going to be there. And if it was going to happen, it was going to happen through you, through Peter and John. And if what goes on in the kingdom of God isn't being done by me, it's going to be done by you. How's it going to be done? How are you going to do it, Nathaniel? going to be through the power of God. But how do we get this? Not only would they need comfort after losing their closest friend, the most wonderful friend they could have ever imagined, they would need something to uphold them when they faced impossible situations, when they bore the burdens of the multitudes as they shared the Gospel. You know, when you go with a big team and you have a great leader and he's confident and he knows what he's doing, it's one thing, but when that leader's gone... Right? I mean, being one of the disciples of Jesus would be one thing, but now Jesus was going to leave. This had to be terrifying for them. We need this too on our journey. God has not left us alone either. We have the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Everybody say, we have the comforter. He is our comforter as He was for them. He is this, and he saw much more so let's walk through our text a little bit further and we hear the words that jesus spoke now remember he had just told them i go if i say jesus was going i go to prepare a place for you he was going to the father he was going to die death was the route to his father he told them that one day that they would have to die to get there too and in the meantime he told them let not your hearts be troubled because this is what it would be like you know imagine Jeff, if I took you and a whole group of guys to Myanmar and we're in the heart of it all, and I'm like, you know, God has told me tomorrow I'm going to die. You'd be like, like, you're going to miss me, but you also have to figure out how to get out of Myanmar, right? Oh, no, what are we going to do? Let not your hearts be troubled. News that he was leaving was troubling. They had seen that without him their work would be difficult. The day he sent them on ahead of him in the boat, they rode for hours. Remember that? They made a little headway and Jesus walked on the water to join them. They were afraid then too and He used that day to prepare them for His departure. That's what Jesus was doing. It's really what we as parents and as leaders, Andy, we need to be doing. We need to be preparing our church and our family for our departure because we are not the answer. We cannot be ever present. There will be a day when we leave too. But there's something that will not leave you. There is the reason the church is alive today. All of the great men of God of the ages have died. And they've always left it to what? To other men and women. Here in John 14, to comfort their already grieving hearts, He says this, I will pray the Father and He shall give you another comforter. You see, Jesus was their comfort. Right? I mean, when the storm was blowing on the Sea of Galilee, and here they're all thinking they're going to die, who could comfort them and calm the storm? He could, right? And He did. He was their comfort. When everyone was trying to kill them and Jesus would say, let's go this way. He was their comfort. And so this comfort was going to be a different kind of comfort. It wouldn't be there in the flesh anymore. It would be in another form. And they were nervous about this. I mean, what if I just told you, hey, I'm not going to be with you anymore, honey, but I'll be with you in spirit. You're kind of like, I know what that means. I'm on my own, right? I'm sure they were thinking it was like that. Like, okay, I'll be, I'll be looking down from heaven, honey, and I'll be with you in spirit. You're like, yeah, I really, I need you out cutting down a tree is what I need. You know. I will pray the Father, He will give you another comforter that He may abide with you Forever, even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it sees him not and knows him not, but you know him, for he dwells with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. What he was telling them is that he was leaving them, but he was really not leaving them. Does that make any sense to you? He wasn't going to be there in the flesh to break off pieces of bread and hand them. He wasn't going to be there in the flesh to take a towel and wash their feet. He wouldn't be there for that, but He was still going to be there. And He was going to be there in a way that He had not been there before and in a way God had never been with man before. You see, what they didn't have then, we have now. They were with Jesus, but Jesus, Luke, is in us. They didn't have that. Now first notice that Jesus calls the Holy Spirit another comforter. I just told you this. Jesus had been their comfort in the world of sin and death. He had been their consolation. That men worship God with their mouths, but in their hearts they were far from Him. His physical presence would have been an unimaginable comfort. Have you ever had someone do something, you know, a stranger or whatever, and, and you say, you know what, this restores my faith in humanity. Have you guys ever heard this, anybody say this? Now, I always want to argue with them like they shouldn't have any faith in I want to get into the whole, you know, depravity conversation, but I don't. But I know what they mean. You know you what, know, when someone says, you know what, this restores my, what, what do they mean? They're like, you know what, it's awfully good to be around good people, Right? The repairman helps you out rather than sticks it to you. The taxman gives you a break instead of breaking your bank. Someone lets you in instead of cuts you off. You know, they do something they, they just didn't have to do. Can you imagine what it must have been like to have someone like Jesus who always had the best advice, never gave you the easy answer, always had a kind word, always went the extra mile. It would be almost unbearable to lose them he had been their comfort. He had restored humanity. Literally, he was the first fruits of a new and incredible race of men. The first of the new creation. Don't you love good people? Now, I don't know Ryan very well. But so far, he seems like good people to me. Mostly because he cut my grass and uh, helped get a tire fixed. I think he even washed the dishes. Folks, this is a good man right here. But you know, I don't really know what kind of a man he is. I'm sort of getting to know him. But don't you just love being around good people? Come on, raise your hand if you just, just like it. I do. I love to be with good people. When I hurt, probably like you, or I've been under a great deal of stress, I know sometimes, Benita. You deal with things and you're like, you know, if I could just go over there to the Robinettes and hang out for a little bit, right? And you know what we're thinking? When's Benita getting here? We need us some Benita. The Downies are coming. The Downies were at our table on Friday night. And I'm sitting there with Luke and I'm just going, I'd just like to be right here. I just want to be that close. You know? There were other people there too, but... My sermon would go longer if I started talking about you. Sometimes I just need to be near you. But sometimes in the many dark hours of my life, there's no one that can be there with us, right? Even when we're not alone. Even then at that time, though, we're not alone. Jesus said that the Holy Spirit would never, everybody say never, never leave. You see, Jesus was going to give them something better than himself and you might say that sounds really funny something was better than Jesus it it was don't think I've gone crazy but what's better than a man who can be with 12 men and who can walk around Israel and do good deeds is a man that can be with every man is something that can be with every man in every man instructing every man encouraging every man and making that every man not alone. That's, that's better. There were limits to His physical presence that are not into the Holy Spirit. And it's more than just that, oh, God's everywhere, so I'm not alone. No, there's something very special that happened. And Jesus was telling them about it. You see, God couldn't come and make His abode with us because we were covered in sin that does what what does every sin do it deserves the wrath and curse of god so god's going to come and live in our hearts while we're sinning and we deserve his wrath and curse guys adam got kicked out of the garden of eden and he couldn't walk with god in the garden anymore because he what he was a sinner but what jesus did is he made us clean and he made it to where we can walk with god in the garden When you walk in the garden, you're not walking alone. You're walking with God just like Adam did. You're not talking to yourself. God is there. He's speaking to you. He's really there. He's really imparting wisdom and illuminating Scripture and making Himself known to you. God's presence is real as it was for Adam in the garden for you. It's real like that and it can be like that. But for Jesus, but for the Holy Spirit to come, Jesus, he said he had to leave. Now, I was, you know, we can get all theological. I don't exactly understand it. But Jesus said, if I don't leave, this cannot happen. So this was a a good reason to leave. When you love people, you will take away the good thing from them so they can have the what? Have the better thing. And although they wanted to rely on it, they wanted to lean on his arms of flesh. They wanted him to come. What was better for him to leave? The apostle Paul talks about this in Philippians chapter two, chapter one and two. He says, "He says I have a desire to depart and to be with Christ." He said that would be far better. But for me, it's more needful that I abide with you. Paul understood that people lean on us and depend on us. Jesus had done all He had done by the power of the Holy Spirit and now He was sending the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, into them to be ever-present. His flesh had limitations, but the Spirit could live in them and go with them and all believers and teach them to obey God's commands. It's one thing to have a teacher who's teaching a group. It's another to have a teacher just teaching you. Men did not have to be a part of a multitude anymore. They could be a part of a classroom of one. This is God starting homeschooling with us. The spirit of truth teaching us. He comes to us in our need, with our personality, in our situation, and he applies it to what is going on in our lives in a way that you can't do in a big room, right? He's the teacher. Here's what Jesus says later, two chapters later. We won't go into all of this, but listen to these same words He talks about, the same subject, two chapters later. He says, because I have said these things, what things? I'm getting ready to die. He's telling them, I'm getting ready to die and leave. He says, because I've said these things, your sorrow has filled your heart. He goes, but don't be sorry. You don't understand. You think you're losing something that's, that, that's you can't lose, but I'm telling you, what you're getting ready to lose is necessary. For you to get something better, it's kind of difficult, right? Like trading in, you know, the car to get the new car. I don't know. Here you have trading in, you know, not trading in, but you are. It's it's like being a caterpillar is great, but they're like, trust me, when you get wings and you can fly from Ohio to South America and see the world and congregate with a billion other butterflies, like this flying thing is way better than this caterpillar thing, you know, like. He says, nevertheless, I tell you a truth. It is expedient for you that I go away. Sometimes this is hard for us to understand. Sometimes the things that we need, that need to go away, that need to leave our lives, that we think are good, god they need to go away that we can have what? We can have better. There was a time in my life when I held on to something because I didn't want it to leave. I thought it was the most important thing in my life. I thought if it ended, if it fell apart, if it it died, then I would die. I couldn't make it anymore. For years I held on and it went away from me and left me broken and devastated. And then God brought me my wife. And all of a sudden I realized what I had been holding on to. It was nothing like what he was bringing to me amen folks this is our life this is the Christian walk of God he takes from us what we think is amazing and wonderful and fantastic and indispensable and what does he do what does God always do for his people he gives us something better and we might go well I don't even want to say that folks Jesus was leaving to give us something better There was no better man, but you see, man isn't the answer. God saves us by what? He says, it's not by might, it's not by power, it's by my... by my Spirit. Spirit's better. It is expedient for you that I go away, for if I don't go away, the Comforter will not come to you. I don't exactly understand why, but there was something that was happening through the death of Christ The application, maybe the answer is here, the application of the blood of Christ on our life, the perfect sacrifice, changed the condition of the elect. And now we can come to where God's Spirit can live in us. He restored that. And the only way to restore it was through His death. And only by dying could He bring that better thing to us. And He didn't just leave us and go. He left us with the comforter. He said, if I don't go away, the comfort will come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. that in chapter 14, he had said he would pray the Father would send the comforter. Here in 16, he says, I will send. What are we seeing here? We're seeing the Trinity here. We're seeing a picture, right? Remember, he says, I will pray the Father and he will send. But in chapter 16, he said, if I go, I will send the comforter. He tells them He's leaving and had been with them, but He shall be in them. Everybody say, in them. Somehow through the work of the Holy Spirit, God would make His abode in us. Jesus said He was in the Father, and the Father was in Him. John 16 goes on this way. He says, when the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. I was telling my wife... I've sort of made fun of Baptists for their three-point messages, but I think Jesus laid out a little plan for one here. I don't know, it always has to be this way, but Jesus definitely did. When the Holy Spirit has come, He will convict of sin and righteousness and judgment. And then He lays out, verse 9, of sin because they believe Me not, of righteousness because I go to My Father and you see Me no more, of judgment because the Prince of this world is judged we'll get more into this when we go into chapter 16 but what he was telling them is that the comforter is going to come he said when I was there and I would do right in front of you and you would see the right way to act it would convict you right you guys ever been around somebody and they're better than you they're more godly they're more kind they're more patient and you watch them and you go and you go, you know what I need to be like that anybody know anybody like that Yeah. right this is what Jesus did Jesus is around them and He's doing this, but He's saying that's not going to end. He knew that He was doing this. You do this. The way that you live will either inspire people to a you know, lesser life or inspire them to a better one. And Jesus knew He was inspiring them, but He's saying that's not going to stop. The Holy Spirit's going to do this. He will convict you. You know, when you're sinning, how many times does it come to your mind And what is it that comes to your mind? He says, He says the the Holy Spirit will come and He will remind you of whatsoever things I said. He will remind us of what the things Jesus did and taught. And so when we're in the situation and we're doing wrong, how many people have had that dialogue that goes on and goes, really? That's the the route you're going to take? Don't you know what God's Word says? How many people have that dialogue that goes on? I hope all of you do. If it doesn't, you should pray for it. That's the whole, it's called the Holy Spirit. If you don't have that talking to you, folks, you're in trouble of sin because they believe me not, of righteousness because I go to my father, of judgment because the prince of the world is judged. We'll, we'll talk about this later in our, in my, in another message. Verse 13, but when he, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he shall not speak of himself, but whatsoever things he shall hear, that shall he speak and he will show you things to come. He shall glorify Me, for He shall receive of Mine and shall show it to you. All things the Father has are Mine. Therefore said I, that He shall take of Mine and shall show it to you. Yet a little while you see Me not. A little while you shall not see Me, because I go to the Father. Now back to our text. Verse 19 of chapter 14. Yet a little while the world seeth Me no more, but you see Me, because I live... You shall live. That's where they get that song from. Because He lives. Because I live, you shall live also. That day shall you know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. You see, this is what was different. Jesus wasn't just going to walk with them. He wasn't just going to wake them up and say, pray with me. He was going to make His abode in their hearts. Folks, that's our only way to heaven. Do you know you can't take yourself there? You have to be taken by God and if the Holy Spirit is not living in your heart, you will not go there. The Bible said the same Spirit that raised up Christ from the dead, it will quicken your moral body and it will take you to heaven. The Holy Spirit is our way to God. He that hath my commandments and keeps them, he is he that loveth me. He that loveth me shall be loved of my Father and I will love him and I will manifest myself to him. Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, how is it that you will do this, Lord, and not unto the world? Jesus is like, I'm going to be there and you are going to see me. See, this was another benefit. You're going to see me, but they won't. No more chasing Jesus through the streets. No more trying to crucify Him. No more trying to stop Him from teaching. They won't see Him. He's invisible. But He's going to be with them. He's going to talk to them. Jesus said, If any man love Me, he will keep My words. My Father will love him. And we will come unto Him and make our abode with Him. Once again, He's giving us insight into the Trinity. He's saying, when the Holy Spirit comes in, you know what's going to happen, Luke? The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are all going to be living In us. God is living inside of us. It's amazing on levels we can't comprehend. We were dead in our trespasses and sins only enlivened by the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit brings the life of Christ into our lives. The joy that we share in our whole relationships with our brothers and sisters in Christ are not the result of good training or a better way of life. It is the fruit of Christ Himself. You'll hear me. You'll hear your pastor up here pounding the pulpit. Hey, guys, train your kids. Hey, guys, we want to do right, but I'm telling you right now, training won't get it done. Good behavior isn't going to get it done. We need to be praying, people of God. We need to be praying that God fills our children with the Holy Spirit of God. The Apostle Paul said it this way in Galatians 2, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ is what He lives in me. Luke, you know what I love about you is is Christ. And what you love about me is Christ. Because in ourselves there are no good things. In me is insecurity. In me is the desire maybe to be liked. In me is the desire to be well thought of. Maybe that's all in me. But in Christ... There's only beauty and only love. Some of you that love me, I know, I know I am loved by some people in this room. And I'm telling you right now that if you knew who I was, without Christ. I got a little picture of it yesterday. you know I was with your dad and your mom both, yesterday? And I was with a bunch of people that are my people according to the flesh. And I know none of you would probably love me unless Christ had changed me. Sometimes it's hard to go in those places and remember who you are. Though my wife and I were in our car and we're driving home and we're saying, I wanna be home. I wanna be with the people This is is where I want to be. How did it it get to be so lovely? How did it get to be where, you know, Heath, I was glad to hear you. I know you're going to in the bathroom, but Heath, I was glad to hear you pray that you're like, you missed us. And that you're so glad that we're back, right? Isn't it wonderful to be with people who love you? But folks, that's only possible because of the Holy Spirit of God. In and of ourselves, there is no good thing. We don't seek after God. We don't think of others. We don't love our neighbors. The only way that's possible is by the Spirit of God. There's quite a difference between good people and people who are filled with the Spirit. Both may do similar things, but what's behind their motives, their goals, what do they have in mind? The things are quite different. Righteousness attained by hard work causes us to resent others. We don't think work is hard. Clean living by rigid training without the enlivening power of the Holy Spirit produces pride and conceit. It feels good to be good, to be better than other people. It feels good to think that you're good. Man is so corrupt that even righteous living, the Bible calls self-righteousness, is repugnant to God. And it's really repugnant to other people. That's why people hate religious people so much. What do they say? You ever seen people that hate religious people? They go, you know what, they think they're so much better than me. And you know why they say that? Because they're right. Because they do think they're so much better. Paul said it this way. He lamented his self-made goodness. He had cause to brag about his goodness. I read, uh, Andy read it for us today from Philippians. He listed things that made him better than others. You, got, you guys have some of those. You're, you're way better than lots of people. And you have a list of those things. You could list them all. Paul listed his. He said, I might have, he said though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any man thinks he's got more to trust in than me, he doesn't. I've got more than He does. I'm better than them. He said, I was circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel of the tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. What's He saying? I'm a good Jew. I was a good law-obeying Jew. I'm a good family. I'm part of a sect that's known for their pious living. I'm really good. You're good, but not quite so good as me. Concerning Zia, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is of the law, I was blameless. But listen to how he feels about all the things that make him better. He not only did good works, loved to do them, he didn't just keep commandments, he blamelessly hunted down heretics, saw them put to death. He was a zealous Christian, killer, Jew. Here's what he says about it. He said, The things that were gained to me, I count loss for Christ. Folks, I'm telling you, you might say, oh, you know what? We have a bunch of kids. You know what? We don't send them to the uh, government to be educated. You know what? Our wives don't run our homes. You know what? Let me show you. We know how it's done. Let me show you what? We discipline our children. Let me show you what? We don't have doctors tell us what to do. We give birth at home and we tell them what to do. You know what, my kids have better SAT scores than them because my kids have books. i got more books than them. I'm telling you, have all of it, but you better know that it doesn't make you one single solitary bit better. In fact, it makes it more possible in a way to be self-reliant on your own righteousness and miss out the fact that you are in desperate need of the power of the Holy Spirit. This is our challenge, church. What things were gained to me, I count loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things for loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and I count them but dung that I may win Christ. You know what? Have these beautiful things in your life but they need to be dog potty in your yard in comparison to Christ, His Holy Spirit, You need not to be puffed up in conceit. You don't need to be feeling good about anything. You should be feeling good that Christ loved you. That He died for you. That you would be a wretch without Him in your life. Feel good about that. Paul said, if I was going to brag, I'll brag about this. I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you what I'll brag about. I was shipwrecked. I was in the sea night and day. They beat me. They tortured me. They put me in jail. They falsely accused me. Church people threw me out and treated me like trash. He said, I am glory in that. Because that puts me with the company I belong in. The company of Christ have a good name, have a good family, a good heritage. But those things were gained to him in his life before Christ. The value of those things were nothing. When he came to Christ, he lost his good name. His family despised him. His heritage and zeal hindered his ministry. He couldn't even go preach Christ because they were afraid he was going to kill them. He said he wanted most was to have something he could not work for. And he wanted something he could not obtain from a family heritage, from going to the right church, from being truly reformed. He wanted something that only God could give him that was supernatural. He wanted the righteousness that came from God, from the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 9, he said, I want to be found in him not having my own righteousness. That's just of the law. Knowing what to do, when to do it, how to do it. He says, but I want what is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. Verse 24 of 14, I'm trying to wind up here, guys. He that loveth me not keepeth not my sayings, and this word you hear is not mine, but it's the Father's that sent me. These things have I spoken to you, being yet present with you, but the Comforter. Everybody say the Comforter. (laughs) Which is the Holy Ghost. Everybody say the Holy Ghost. Whom the Father will send in My name, He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I said to you. The Holy Spirit would not only comfort them, He would become their teacher. Jesus would not be spreading multitudes over hillsides. He would not be calling them into a boat or up on top of mountains to privately instruct Him now. The Holy Spirit would do this job for them and for all believers and it would do it through them. Jesus, through the work of the Holy Spirit, would continue to teach them and would empower them to teach others. As He says later in John 16, as we read earlier, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. You know, we want to learn, don't we, Steve, theological answers. You know, the best answers you'll give people won't be from your study. It will come from the power of the Spirit within you. Jesus, even when He sent them out, He told them they couldn't even take a Bible. He says, I don't even want you to think about what you're going to say to people, but I want you to get in front of them. And he said, the Holy Spirit will fill your mouth with the words that you're supposed to say when that hour comes. He's telling them to rely on what? The Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit, the Spirit. Do we rely on the Spirit or our preparation? Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you, not as the world gives, give I unto you. Let not your hearts be troubled, and don't be afraid. He had been the peace that calmed the storm of the Sea of Galilee. He had calmed them again and again in the perilous times. But when He left, He told them He was going to leave them peace. Jesus was the Prince of peace that would come into their hearts and through the work of the Holy Spirit would make His abode in them. Peace I leave with you. Peace. Peace. I give you not as the world gives in closing i'm going to read to you from second corinthians chapter 5 starting in verse 16. wherefore henceforth know we that no man after the flesh yea though we have known christ after the flesh yet henceforth know we him no more do you hear this he's saying you know we knew him we walked with him but let me tell you what we don't he's not with us now therefore if any man be in christ though he is a new creature Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God who hath reconciled us to Himself by Jesus Christ hath given us the ministry of reconciliation. It's time for us to do this work now. To wit, God was in Christ reconciling the world to Himself, not imputing their trespasses. Unto them have committed us now the work of reconciliation. How are we going to do this work, guys? Only by the power of the Spirit. He says, now we are ambassadors for Christ as though God did beseech you by us. We pray in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God for he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. How are we going to be that righteousness? Will it be by training and preparation and learning all the rules? Folks, I'm telling you, it won't be. That doesn't mean we don't do it. We don't save people by going out and knocking on doors and talking to everyone we meet. But if we don't go out there, we're not going to meet people. But if the Holy Spirit isn't with you, your work is in vain, in your evangelism, in your sanctification, with your children in your life, pray to God, fill me with your Spirit, O God. Send your Holy Spirit to me. Let it be my wisdom, my comfort, my words. May it be my teacher. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we love You. We thank You so much for not leaving us in our sin. Lord, You could have cast us off and wiped the earth clean of our kind, but as it says in Your Word that You loved us with an everlasting love. Lord when we deserved your wrath what was new for us every morning but mercy oh God may we be thankful but now what do we do with what you have given us this great salvation these seats in heaven prepared for us now but you've given us your spirit that we indeed might call people to repentance that we might enliven them with the power of your spirit and we might speak and faith be brought about in their lives oh god use us oh god change us oh god and may we ever be aware of your holy spirit commune with us oh god change us in jesus name amen